It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Marcy Campbell. Marcy is Senior Vice President of Worldwide Sales and Business Development at QBall. And QBall simplifies the provisioning, management, and scaling of big data analytics workloads. And Marcy, I'm sure, can add more to that. Marcy, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. I'm excited to be here. So take a minute, introduce yourself, and maybe tell us how you got your start in sales. Sure. So, yeah, I'm Marcy Campbell. Um, I've been in sales for over 25 years. Um, I run uh, sales and business development for Cubal, which is a startup that does big data as a service. Um, we uh, started about five years ago, and I joined the company two and a half years ago, where we had 19 customers and you know one sales rep. We now have a team of 30 salespeople, growing to 63 next year, and we've got wow. over two, 200 customers. Yeah. Okay, so, so you're gonna double the size of your sales team next year. Yes. Yes. And how's that split up between AE and SDRs and? Yeah, so we have a uh, three-to-one ratio. So we have three SDRs for one outside field rep. And we have an enterprise sales model, so we have a complex sale. So we have SDRs who actually set appointments, but they don't sell over the phone at this point. So they're just appointment setting. Yes, right now they are. Yeah, we're hoping that we can bifurcate that model. I also have uh, some strategic sales folks that manage some of our largest accounts like Oracle and Expedia and... Uh, companies like uh, Pinterest, um, and they're responsible for managing those accounts and driving new revenues through them. And they report up through you. Yes, they not, do. Not customer success, as we sometimes see now. No, our customer success is about deployment and support. Okay, so revenue is yours. Right. <laughs> okay, and in this growth this next year, doubling, I mean, you already have this three-to-one ratio. What Are you going to maintain that ratio, or is that going to evolve um, you know, we I actually don't start that way when I hire a new SDR. We usually do two, you know, two to one or one to one to get them started and then we move them to three to one. I think three to one is the right ratio for us as we've just had a new CMO join us and we've started to gen up uh, a lot of the lead development. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to that, we were doing our own leads, which is really difficult. You know, a lot of cold calling, a lot of knocking on doors, a lot of word of mouth, a lot of meetups and lunch and learns. And now, and the SDRs all help with that. And so right now, I think with the amount of leads and the amount of pull in the market that we have, um, I think we're in better stead where we can be a little bit more picky about the things that we chase down. Yeah, it seems like as as the marketing person came on stream and you got more inbound, like a size that you're developing, then it seems like you might need that ratio could come down from three to one to two to one or even less sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So um, we have. I'm sorry. So I may have it backwards. We have we have you know one s uh, we okay. have one outside sales rep for for um, excuse me, an SDR covers. Three. three side sales reps. Okay, all right. Yeah, we. All right. So I was. I was covering. Yeah, yeah. The that other one. sounds better. All That's right. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. My- no, it's okay. I thought your SDRs were. Yeah. Just being unproductive. 
<laughs> yeah. I no. So if they're listening to this, I apologize. I was just taking what you said at face value. Yeah. <laughs> no hate mail, please. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that makes sense then. I, I've, I thought we were going to talk about a very interesting sales model you had. So, um, all right. So that's, well, that's very aggressive hiring. So how do you, how do you handle that? You know, yes. people listening, there's a lot of entrepreneurial people listening, startups. Uh, What's so the key for you? You know, when I first started um, here and uh, what we did was I closed a couple of deals on my own just to figure out like what the repeatable process was. And I called, we had a, we had sort of a bubble pipeline where we had a lot of things that were stuck in the middle. And I ended up calling a bunch of our lost deals and mm-hmm. asked why they didn't buy. And they, I, you know, I got, because I think I'm, I'm fairly well connected in Silicon Valley. I had a lot of people be able that were willing to talk to me. And in particular, I had a couple of VPs of engineering or data platform engineering who said to me, I'm not your customer. And I was like, well, why not? And so what happened out of that process was I, we developed a very, very solid qualification mechanism. And so what we said was, well, who do we not sell to? And then who do we sell to? Instead of spraying and praying and just cold calling, mm-hmm. people, we, we take a rifle approach to our business. So we know who our customer is and we know who can buy and when, and we know who our customer is not. And so we spent a lot of time doing qualification. And what it did was it streamlined the pipeline. Um, you know, our pipeline, because we're you know, we're software as a service, right? We're big data as a right. service. Right. Um, we're not a managed service. We're software as a service. We help people do self-service big data analytics. Um, we don't have a normal pipeline. What we have is an hourglass. And so, you know, in the close is the middle of that hourglass. And then the expansion of that account right. is also the responsibility of the reps because we pay them on billables, and there's no handover to from an account outside field rep to an account manager, let's say. No, we um, we hand over to we work in conjunction with customer success. So we do have customer success account managers who work with us to help deploy and make sure that support and our customers are satisfied. Um, but the sales reps are responsible for that account from beginning to end. So let's let's talk about that philosophically. I mean, you keep it sort of unified, um, but increasingly you're seeing it sort of specialized and, and split into different groups. So there's handoff from the AEs to the customer success managers or account managers, whatever you want to call them. What's your thought? I mean, I know what works for you, but in general, you know, where do you think that, that the role best fits? You know, I think that's an it depends answer based on the business model of the company and the products that you have. Because we're a service and we have to earn our business every day, it's super important, you know, we're not going in and, and closing a big deal and having someone write us a check for millions of dollars. They pay us every month. And while we may do, you know, annual contracts where they have minimum commits, we, you know, have to earn that business. So it's super important that we pay attention to our customer that we say customer centric. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we try to do is have um, a team approach to our customers. And one of the reasons why we're starting to segment our customer base is because we're getting larger customers, which create which create more load on the account managers themselves. And mm-hmm. we got to store that you know there's new selling opportunities in a customer. You know you might have a large customer who has multiple divisions, and so the selling never ends. So the selling piece is different than the customer support and customer service piece. And so in your, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, but in our business, this is how it sort of it it 
it mapped out. I don't know that that's, you know, that's not the model that we used in EngineYard, you know, and it's not the model that, you know, I used at other companies, um, mostly just because we weren't, you know, we closed out a customer, a customer would deploy to our environment. And while it was a service, there wasn't a lot of selling to be done after the first initial sale. Mm-hmm. Whereas with us here, with the big data projects, there's always new workloads to find. Right. So what are you looking for as you expand the team? Let's say your outside reps, what are sort of the important you know, criteria and qualifications you're looking for in a new rep, let's say on your outside team? Yeah, on the outside team, it's interesting. You know, I think the top thing is intelligence, right? Mm. So, you know, this is a very nuanced enterprise sale. I call it a backward enterprise sale. You know, most of us grew up selling to, um, you know, to lines of business and then moving over to IT or the engineering group to, you know, do a proof of concept and, and work through any of the technical issues and then, you know, eventually came back to the end user and got legal and security involved. Whereas here, because we are a big data platform and it's a technical sale, we start with a VP of engineering. And what, you know, I've had recruiters tell me that, you know, no one likes selling to a VP of engineering or VP of platform engineering, but we've gotten pretty good at it because, you know, these are guys that are responsible for building out platforms, you know, self-service platforms, because data is a huge underused asset for the company. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are building new products based on the data that they can get from both structured and unstructured areas. Right. So we start with a VP of engineering because they can qualify in or out as to whether or not they're a customer. So we have you know, I, we have a two-part qualification process. So when I look for somebody on the outside, I look for somebody who has technical acumen, who can do a complex sale, and who has intelligence in, uh, enough to to work the nuances of a sale. Um, we're in a really competitive environment. Um, there is no greenfield per se for us. Everybody's already you know, big data is something everybody's looked at for the last couple of years, right. and it's first on. And so you know. I need people who are um, very motivated to win, but also are intelligent and can handle the pressures of a competitive environment. So, how do you test that? How do you valid? How do you verify that that they can, you know, a possess the intelligence, the worldview to be in patience to deal with a nuanced, complex sale? It's super hard. I mean, I think, you know, there's one of the things on intelligence is none of us think that we're not intelligent, right? So the question about, you know, can you understand and grok the technology? Because what we have is so disruptive in the market. You know, no one's offered big data and uh, data platforms as a service before. And um, so what we have is super technical and 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 super um, complex. And so having people understand the value proposition of what we offer and being able to articulate coming from a, you know, another enterprise sort of middleware slash, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think maybe BI analytics where you've had to manage across an organization and you can understand that the value may be different based on different people that you talk to. So I look for, you know, history um, of success, obviously, but also, you know, ex- I ask people to explain the products that they're currently selling and tell me about some of the issues that they've had when they've won, you know, when have they been successful? And then also, like, when have they not been successful and what they've learned from that? And, and that tells you a lot. 
because if people are, you know, if they're thoughtful and if they are self-aware, they're going to be doing, you know, the due diligence on themselves and say, okay, I lost this deal. Why did I, why did I win? Why did I lose? Mm-hmm. And it's, I get better. And you know? well, I was just wondering, I was curious because, you know, there's a lot of assessment tools that are out there and, and, you know, I've worked with clients where we've put together technical tests for salespeople just to see what level of knowledge they actually have, not what they you know, represent, but what they actually have. I mean, do you use, you know, assessment tools or other things like that? I haven't started, but I'm looking at them. Now, we do use, um, we have a lot of training when someone comes in. We put a lot of work behind get, making them successful. So, you know, I have people come in at different levels. I might have someone who understands big data but has never sold in the cloud. They may know someone who knows the cloud but doesn't know big data. And I may have someone who has great sales skills but doesn't know either. You know, they're, all three of those types of folks will fit here. It's just that the training associated with what we have to do, it's either content or process or it's going to be sales skills, right? Um, I'm a big believer in developing people on the team. So I haven't really lost many people on the team since we started in two and a half. I was here two and a half years ago um, because I also bring in SDRs and move them through the system. Like I have one or two people that are just starting to sell on the outside that have joined us, you know, just about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Part well, of that is we do a lot of training once they're right. in. But I don't use an assessment tool as part of the interview process. I am looking at them. Um, I just haven't found one that I thought was, you know, I would take, you know, advice. If somebody's got an idea, I'd, I'd absolutely look at it. Okay. So let me ask you a question. So of your team, um, what percentage of your sales team are women? Uh, so I wish I could say it was a very big percentage, but it's not. It is... Um, I have, it's probably 5%, and it's different in the different areas. So in the SDR area, it's 50%. In the enterprise outside, it is, it is very small. Well, that's, that's a pretty high percentage for SDR teams even. So that's, that's really? interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, based on anecdotal evidence of talking to <laughs> several hundred people for the, for the show, um, yeah. Um, you know, I think I got lucky that way in that, you know, I have a great uh, sales manager or director of the, the SDR team. And, you know, we try to look for talent, but I'm also very open to working with um, smart, intelligent women who want to get into sales. I'm very focused on, on, on making that happen. I think enterprise sales is tricky. You know, most of us, you know, that are older grew up getting trained in sales. I went to IBM and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they put me through an 18 month course where I couldn't right. even talk to a customer until I actually got trained on the technology and I did role playing for, I don't know, six months. And so I've had this sales process drilled into my head and, you know, people in Silicon Valley, they just don't have that opportunity. They come in, they're told, okay, here's, you know, a script, here's a number of people to call and like, go get people who can meet with us. Right. We'll go train you, quote unquote. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And so what happens is they don't really understand the process of sales, right? Because there's this, there's an art and a science associated with both. And I think that, you know, I got lucky in that I got trained on, on both of those. And I try to train some of the SDRs to do that. I look for, you know, intelligent women who want to go into sales and want to stay there. Um, a lot of the women that I worked with have moved over into channel or they move into, um, 
you know, management or they'll move into, you know, business development. Um, for me, um, you know, we are um, actively looking for a, a BD person because I'd like to stay in sales. And as we grow this to hundreds of people and, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, I want to stay in the sales capacity. It's just more my nature. Well, so what is what are the big challenges for attracting talented women into sales? So, I mean, it's there's been... You know, research about all sorts of you know sort of things that are that are out there that yeah are sort of hidden barriers even from the job descriptions used to advertise for jobs. You know that that you know tend to use these heroic male-oriented testosterone yeah. testosterone-driven yeah. terms yeah. that are off-putting for women. So, what are you doing? What do you find works for you in terms of being able to recruit women? I think you know the things that women care about are a little bit different in terms of the flexibility that they can have to work, right? So, you know, the person that manages my SDR team, you know, has a seven-year-old and she's like, I got to work from home on Fridays. I'm like, yeah, that's no problem, right? And so does that make her less aggressive than anybody else? No. It's just that she has to have the facility. We have to provide her sort of that flexibility as well as the, you know, the opportunity to have, um, you know, to have a life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the I still have a I have a very male team, right? I have most of the sales guys that work for me are men, and if I could find more women, I would hire them. Um, I haven't been able to find a lot of women who are doing sort of the raw territory management. I find more women are doing like BD or channel or account development. Right. But the idea of like cold calling people and meeting new people and like hitting your number and as we used to say at Netscape, eating nails for breakfast mm-hmm. and spitting them out all day, right? right? You know, that's just not, that kind of environment is just not attractive to a lot of women. Um, that said, I have a number of women who are young and talented that are on the SDR team that I'll probably move out into enterprise sales um, because they're driven. And this company, you know, we've built an environment where it's okay you know, to not have to talk about killing, you know, and beating and maiming people, right? right. Um, yeah, it's a much more social environment. And it's, you know, I think because, you know, I am the only woman executive on the on the team, but at the same time, I run, you know, probably the most aggressive team in the company. I think that, um, you know, we get a lot of respect for, for what, you know, and more opportunity for women. I, I just, I'm really, really focused on it. Um, it doesn't mean that I won't hire the best person. I will, sure. you know, but at the same time, I think, you know, it's just, I think unless you've been coached at the beginning of your sales career and you have mentors who will help you show you that it's, you know, it's a viable, <laughs> exciting career to have, it gets a little overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's that's true. I, I, actually, a question is: so, I mean, when you came into sales, there were few women in sales. I mean, and you know, is it are the challenges really any different? Because it doesn't seem like there's really that proportionally that many more women in sales, especially in tech, than there were 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that's true. I don't think it's changed much. Um, you know, I think that um, the challenges when I when I was in sales, and now I'm going to date myself, but, you know, I started out with a great company, IBM, treats its employees really well. So I wasn't, I, I didn't start out in a rough and tumble sales environment. So I think that helped. 
And it was an environment that was very nurturing and they did a lot of training. So those things helped me when I first got into a startup environment, when I first went to my first startup job and worked for my house, you know, I had little kids and I was trying to manage through that. It actually worked for me because I could manage my, my schedule and my travel around, you know, when I needed to be home and when I needed to, you know, the kids were in school or, you know, I had, um, you know, I, I just had the flex, it offered me the flexibility. Um, that said, you know, I've worked with a number of really talented women who've stayed in sales and have moved through the ranks. And, um, you know, we're a little bit of a club because we have to be. Um, when I was at Netscape, I think there were only two of us that were on outside sales at the time. And, you know, on the East Coast, uh, at my level, there were there were only, it was me and a bunch of, of guys who were supporting their families. Um, I was in that boat as well. Um and so I don't know that things have changed. I wish they, I wish I could say they have, uh, you know, but, you know, I think it's time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so here's a question, sort of follow up to that is, is, uh, it seems like one, one way to bring more women into the profession is to have more, I don't know, professional certifications, degrees, accreditation for sales professionals, I totally agree with that. That that sort of takes some of the you know uh, traditional preferences perhaps out of the out of the mix. Uh, you know, similar to doctors, lawyers, and so on. And so there's there's beginnings of some of that. We're seeing some more degree programs at at more universities uh, relating to sales. But from a professional standpoint, there's there's a few organizations doing something, but it's not very widespread yet. I mean, is this something you'd like to? Do you think would make sense? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Sales is, you know, one of those things that you don't, you can't get a degree in sales, right? You can't go to school and get well, you, you can now, increasingly. There, there are probably three dozen programs, I think, in the United yeah, States that have, but it's still a pretty small number. Yeah, and I think that the challenge is um, that you were either responsible for learning on your own or you ha- went to a company that actually trained you up and then you took your skills forward. Right. I think if we had it, if it became more of an accredited um, respected profession where you actually had like, you know, you were a lawyer or a doctor or salesperson. Um, even I think that would help a great deal. I think it would attract more people because it would be a profession versus, you know, I sell, car- there's no difference really if I'm selling technology or if I'm selling cars in a, in a pedestrian's mind, right? You're mm-hmm. a salesperson. Right. Right. So I think, um, you know, I, I love sales. I just love the idea of being able to create and build things out of nothing. And salespeople have the ability to do that, and that's really magic. You know, it is as important as people who are developing product out of nothing and writing software code, right? You go into somebody you don't know and you identify a need, and then you convince them that your feature and benefit, your products and your benefits of your products meet those needs and you create a relationship that didn't exist and you create value for that customer. I think that's like something that you could, if you could get an accreditation around that process or that it would become more valuable in the market and are seen as something more valuable. I agree with you. Yeah. And even, even if it was tiered, I mean, certifications for, you know, SDRs, I mean, based on, based on stages of career or specialties or so on. It would help to hire. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that you're looking to double, you know, the, size, double yeah. the size of your team is if you could at least as a first first order of, of qualification say, do you have your certification, that would that would help. 
Yes, I think it would be tremendous, actually, because right now what you do is you interview and you try to get consensus around a person and at the same time you're selling them and then what you do is bring them in and you find out like where you really are with that person and then you train them to the gaps and what you try to do is hold on to the good salespeople and develop them and keep them working with your company so and allowing them to make money and I think if you had a certification process where I could say, okay, they're a level one or level two or level three, it would be easier for me to identify where they fit in the organization. Yeah, yeah, and no, I think also it sort of you know, sort of takes away some of the uh, <laughs> some of the salespeople coming in and selling themselves, right? I mean, this is certainly I mean you're a sophisticated consumer of sales talents, right? But for a lot of small business owners, entrepreneurs, and so on. Uh, not the case because you know they don't have the experience hiring hundreds of salespeople like you have had over the course of a career. So that process, the validation verification process, tends to be shortchanged, and they tend to be susceptible to being sold as opposed to making that decision uh, objectively. Yes, I agree with that. I, even though um, you know people say that salespeople are the easiest people to sell, right? And one of the questions that I always ask people is, you know, of all the you know, companies that you admire, who do you admire the most? And what I'm asking is, you know, what do you think about the industry we're in or the environment and how thoughtful are you in terms of what's out there? And then I ask them, well, tell me why you think that company is admirable and what about it do you value, which tells me what their value sets are. And then finally I say, well, if you were to have to build a product to compete against that company, what would you do? Those are good questions. And so what that does is it allows me to see sort of how thoughtful is that person? Do they understand the environment that they're in? And, you know, if they say the same thing, everybody like, oh, I love Apple. You're like, okay, why? Right. And it's like, you know, are they going to tell me what they think I want to hear? Or are they going to actually tell me something insightful? And, you know, the competition thing is no one expects it. Right. Everyone like thinks, you know, makes them think, okay, well, well, how do you think about business? Right. Right. So it's uh, it's really super. I, I got those questions a long time ago from someone I had worked with, and I, I use them in pretty much every interview that I have. And it tells me a great deal about the person. Yeah, I like them. And that's, that's, those are good, strong questions. And you're forcing people, because you talked before about creativity, right? One of the things that attracts you to this, this profession is the ability to build things, to create things. And yeah, I think the people that are really successful with their careers and sales are people that just have that same drive, right? As you're, you're using, be able to apply your creativity on a daily basis. Yeah, and a sense of urgency. Yeah, and then you want to get it done now. You're impatient, right? That you have, you know, you want to win, right? You don't want to win at all costs. Like, I think you want to either be winning or learning, right? I mean, mm-hmm. those, you, mm-hmm. look, you look for those kinds of qualities, but it would be helpful if there was actually an accreditation for this that would give you at least the semblance to say, okay, I know where this person is on the spectrum. And I do believe there's a spectrum of sales skills that people have. Sure. Yeah. Or capabilities, if you will. Yeah, right. capabilities. And I think people do different things, you know, different. I mean, they have, you never, you know, I'm very good at closing and qualifying. Other people are really good at going through feature advantage benefits. Some people are really good at needs analysis. Mm-hmm. Some people are good at generating interest. So you just don't know. And some folks, you know, it's interesting. I put my team through a negotiation class 
And the reason I do that is that there are, nobody ever goes through a negotiation class, but everybody thinks they know how to negotiate. And so, you know, what we want is a process so that people understand where they are when they get into a negotiation. And do your, I mean, do your account execs, do they actually negotiate or is that handed over to contracts once the deals? Nope, 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 nope. They have to negotiate, right? So, you know, that is part of their job. And the only way I'm going to scale that is that pushing down those skill sets to the, you know, to the, to the closest level to the customer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we use a, we use a program called Scottworks, which I learned at Engineard and basically, you know, they come in and, and they put, it's an immersive program. It's five days of videotaping the account execs to, you know, negotiate against each other. What's it called again? Scottworks. Okay. Yeah, it's great. And I've taken the class a couple of times and I'll take it again. There's multiple levels of the class, but like you talk about the certification, this is one of these things that I look for when I ask people and they come in, I'm like, what classes have you taken? Right? What sales classes have you been ha- have you, have you taken on your own? And you know, where are you? Mm-hmm. How curious are you? Cuz if you're intellectually curious, then you'll make a good salesperson. Right. And if you're committed to lifelong learning along yes. that same lines, yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so last question along this lines for you before we take a short break is, so if you had to give what you might consider your single most important piece of advice to an SDR today about their careers, what would it be? Um, I think for an SDR... I think the most important thing is to learn how to listen. So your job is to go out and make a bunch of calls and call people that you don't know and try to get them interested in what you sell. But you can't do that unless you really understand what the customer's need is. And so really understanding and listening to what they're telling you is super important for you to drive that opportunity forward okay so and what if you had to give that same not same piece of advice but answer that same question with regard to an account exec what's the most important piece of advice you'd give an account exec today i think it's the same thing and when i talk about you know listening people talk about active listening but what i mean is you know if you can question someone about things that prove that you're an expert to give them the opportunity to tell you about their business so they feel feel comfortable. I think, you know, doing this type of questioning and listening is is the most important skill that you can have. That you really understand what your customers' needs are and you really are able to sell value associated to those needs, you can never get unhooked. I agree. Great answer. Okay. So now we come to the last segment of the show, Marcy. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one's a hypothetical scenario. Where you've just you maybe you've maybe lived this before. You've just been hired as VP of Sales by a company whose sales have stalled out and stuck in the mud. CEO, the board are anxious to get things unstuck and back on track. And you know, I know a turnaround has to start somewhere, but you're in charge. What two steps would you take your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? The first thing I would do is is talk to the current customer base and find out why they bought. And find out what the value that we provide is and what the value is from the day that they bought to right now. And then the second thing is something that I did do, which was I would find out why people didn't buy. So I would call people that 
you know, did not buy our product and try to get them to talk to me, not to sell them, but to understand why they didn't buy, because that's as important as, you know, the success that you had in the mm-hmm. past. Why are you losing? Because mm-hmm. that'll give you information for which to then sort of understand what the sales process is and build a repeatable process. Got it. Like it. Great answer. All right. So I've got some rapid fire questions for you. You can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you, Marcy, are out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Strip lining. Meaning? Um, so a strip line is like when you're fishing and you throw out the line and you pull back and the fish jumps towards it. It's mm-hmm. like saying to a customer, you know, if you don't, you want to know where you stand. So you're like, you know, obviously it doesn't seem like I've convinced you that we're the right solution. And then you stop and you listen. Mm-hmm. We'll either say yes. And here's why. No, you're wrong. Or maybe. Yeah, I like it. I, I, a mentor that taught me how to do that. He, he was a little more scary about it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it often, oftentimes involved uh, telling the customer at a critical moment they just weren't serious and we were only selling to serious oh people. We were only oh. selling to serious people and you'd get up and leave the room. Oh, that's so funny. And yeah, the first time he did that to me is closing one of the biggest deals I ever closed, you know, a couple million dollar order. And yeah, I have to admit the customer was, was jerking us around a little bit and he, he did that. And got up and walked out there, and I was sitting there. I'm in the room. My jaw dropped, and my boss just left. But, uh, yeah, we signed the deal that day, though. There you go. There you go. All right, so who's your sales role model? Who's my my grandfather. Do you sell? My grandfather ran sales for Napa Auto Parts. Oh, wow. Yeah, or North America, sorry. So was there a sales lesson you learned from him? My grandfather had tapes when I was a little girl that he used to listen to in our living room. And what I learned from him is you got to constantly be honing your skills. Got it. Great role model. So what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson read? Mm, Question-Based Selling by Tom Fries. Tom Fries. Okay. Good book. Um, last question. Sometimes the toughest question of the day. What music's on your playlist? Oh, music on my play i have to look at my playlist that's so funny um let's see i you know what i'm terrible i'm bonnie ray i'm like stuck in the 80s talking heads <laughs> you are stuck in the 80s as a matter of fact stuck in the 80s <laughs> well the rest of you is not stuck in the 80s but your music taste may be that's fine oh god yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah i think you got to borrow some from your son sometime i know yeah stuck in the 80s too right <laughs> All right. Well, great. Well, Marcy, thanks for joining me. Tell people how they can connect with you or find out more about Cubo. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you're interested, uh, I can be reached at Marcy at Q-U-B-O-L-E dot com or in LinkedIn under Marcy Campbell. Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much for being on the show. And remember, friends, make it a part of your daily routine every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate, because that way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Marcy Campbell, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. 
For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. <laughs>